big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Abby Jane, Darcy, and Jenny. And a shout out to my mom, Judy, who upgraded her pledge. If you want to be like my mom and get access to bonus content like our notes, outtakes, bonus episodes, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash podandprejudice. We also wanted to let you know that we are almost done uploading all of our transcripts to our website, and you can check those out at podandprejudice.com slash transcripts. Without further ado, enjoy this week's episode covering the second half of episode four of the 1995 BBC version of Pride and Prejudice with our guest, Eric Silver. Then the next morning at breakfast, Lydia is begging to go to Brighton. Boo! Boo! I've said this before, I've said this again, Lydia would break quarantine so much. Absolutely. She would be throwing those COVID parties. Don't even get me started. So she is begging, and Lizzie thinks it's good that the regiment is leaving. She says, if one regiment can cause so much havoc in our family, what would a whole camp full of soldiers do? And Lydia goes, a whole camp full of soldiers. Say what you want about Lydia, but this girl is thirsty. Very much so. Yeah, you could definitely say that about Lydia. (laughs) No pretense there. Like, this girl is incredibly thirsty. So this scene is peak Mr. Bennett. He's like... So Mrs. Bennett starts talking about how when the militia left when she was a girl, it broke her heart. And then Lydia and Kitty are both like, it would break my heart, too. And Mary is like, well, I shall not break my heart, Papa. The charms of Brighton hold no delights for me. I should infinitely prefer a book. Which, again, furthers the Mary is a Williamsburg gay who is stuck in the Austin era. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I truly, truly love Mary. And Daddy Bennett, on his game, is like, well, I'm sorry to be breaking so many hearts, but I have no intention of yielding. And then he, like, eats a crumpet, and it's phenomenal. What I like about this, and I kind of understood a little bit more from this adaptation, was like, hey, I don't want to lose my daughters to go somewhere else for another month. Like, I just, can you guys stay here for five seconds right? as I scrape money together for you to eat crumpets and shit? <laughs> like, can you just? Stop? Yes. It's not like because if you if you look at it in a modern lens, it's not like no, you can't go to the beach. It's like no, don't go to another town and be gone from here and get lupus for like two <laughs> months, guys. You like cut your foot on a shell and then you have like typhoid. You can die so easy. <laughs> like don't leave. Exactly. You could die or you could get preyed upon by a an older man. But it's a good thing that doesn't happen in the modern world. Yeah, oh, never. Yeah, of course not. Never. Never. Um, so <laughs> Daddy Bennett gets up to leave and he's like, well, I'm glad you're back, Lizzie. I'm glad you're back, Jane, because they're the smart ones and the ones that he doesn't hate. And then he leaves and Lydia throws a fit. She like throws her napkin across the room and she's like, I want to get him frightened. And it's 
terrible. It is. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> that was the equivalent on like my super sweet 16 where it's like, but I didn't get the right color Lexus. <laughs> exactly. What am I going to do? Drive this black Lexus to Brighton? No. <laughs> I'm Lydia Bennett. In some ways, she's iconic. In some ways, not so much. Yeah, the dichotomy of Lydia Bennett is that she is a feminist icon slash annoying twat. That's the push and pull of Lydia because in some ways, She's just a teenage girl. Let teenage girls be horny. Let teenage girls be dumb when they want to be dumb. But at the same time, she's so self-centered. Yeah. And she's so oblivious to the harm she's causing her family. Well, I think that she's also mirroring the stuff that Mrs. Bennett is putting yeah! in her head. I think that's what it is. Yes, right? absolutely. Is like, how much do you listen to your parents? And do you agree that their view on the world is the right view as you see the world outside of yourself. Yeah. So Mrs. Bennett is reinforcing the idea that like you need to be a rich person to have value. And Lydia is latching onto that. And she sees everybody around her telling her to shut up. But she's only doing what Mrs. Bennett is telling her to. But of course, that's making them all fucking look bad later in the book. But also what Darcy was talking about. Right. Oh, yeah. So then we go outside and we get Lizzie and Jane picking flowers together and Jane being sad about Bingley and Lizzie being sad that Jane is sad. Okay. Before we started recording, <laughs> I was having trouble understanding who were siblings and not. Because in other books, there's, there's a friend who was like this, who I did not know if Jane was an older, was a sibling or not. Yeah. During this flower scene, I was like, are y'all going to kiss? <laughs> it was like so tender and beautiful where both of them were like, huh, I guess we're not going to marry men unless. <laughs> and I guess it was just like the way the actors were playing it. Just because they're real people, they're, they're not actually siblings. But I was just like, what is happening in this scene? I think also Jennifer Eel just exudes intimacy with everybody who she's in a scene with as well. This is true. She just has chemistry with like a rock if she wants to. She's just so flirtatious, intelligent, and vulnerable at the same time. So it's a credit to Jennifer Eel's performance and the tenderness between these two sisters that combined to an outside eye could be perceived as flirting. For sure. Yeah. But also, I have such a big crush on Jennifer Eel and I <laughs> and I would love to see like her as the star in like a coming of age gay film about but if Jane like wasn't her sister anyway. Even with her 95 eyebrows, I was just like, "All right, all right, Jennifer, like get it." Okay. I love her eyebrows. They're so expressive. <laughs> incredible, incredible. I think it's because she like they're so thin, so she has so much muscle control over the eyebrows. Yeah, that's that's definitely how that works. Well, no, no, no. It, it, sorry. Yes, I understand, <laughs> I understand how eyebrows work. What what I meant was because they were so thin, it's they're very pronounced mm. when she does those things. It's like the opposite of what Colbert does. Mm. Because he has big eyebrows, it's very pronounced when he... And he also has, like, incredible eyebrow control. Like, so when Jennifer Yeo does a flirtatious thing with her eyebrows, we really see it because it's just, like, this line, like, arching or unarching. That is very true because, like, she barely has to move them for me to be like, oh. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I want to make very clear to your audience, I know how eyebrows work. <laughs> Disclaimer. We believe you. Okay, just well, I want to be very clear. <laughs> That'll go in the show notes. It'll just say, Eric knows how eyebrows work in this episode. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. Thank you. So then Jane gets replaced by Mrs. Bennett, who goes on a tirade about how Bingley left and maybe he'll come back, but she doesn't want him to come back anyway and blah, 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 blah. And how, 
oh, I bet the Collinses talk all the time about how they're going to take over our estate when Daddy Bennett dies and blah, 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 blah. That's the shit that I don't like, which is why it really is like, you could at least have some tact. Right. Like, you can't talk about people dying and then assume that people are not going to be nice to you. Like, that's like the tag, the... The inheritance line is such like, uh, you're oh, you're really only in this for the money, mm-hmm. huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My favorite Mrs. Bennett line in the book is in this part. It's where she says, my only consolation is Jane will die of a broken heart and then he'll be sorry for what he's done. <laughs> like, don't talk about your daughter dying at all. I'm so excited for the doctor to diagnose you with broken heart yep. instead of instead of the heart disease you might yeah. have. That will show Bingley. <laughs> yeah. That will show him. Yes. Oh, man. So then Kitty comes running, and Lydia reveals that Mrs. Forster has invited her to go to Brighton with her, and Kitty is pissed that anything could happen to Lydia and not to her, and Lydia literally turns to her and laughs in her face. She goes, ha, 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 ha. Mike pointed out that in this part, they're very Marcia and Jan from the Brady Bunch, mm. even though generally Mary is the Jan of the group. I can't pretend to be a Brady Bunch expert, but... You know the memes, at least. Jan is the disaster nerd, and Marsha gets hit in the face with a football, but Marsha just gets everything. Like, everything's all about Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Oh, yes. What I do like about this, though, when I first saw it, I was like, why does this terrible person get a good thing? But, of course, this spells ruin. So it's very much like, you might forget about this. Like, oh, Lydia gets what she wants. And when it comes back... Later, it's this very good plot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then Lydia and Mrs. Bennett have this moment where they're like, ooh, we're going to look so pretty for all the officers. Ooh. In that exact voice that I just did, which was terrible. Oh, yes. And that is the end of that scene. So then we jump into Lizzie trying to get Daddy Bennett to not let Lydia go. And she is pacing around his office, and she is sweating, and he's saying it's fine and he she's like no you don't understand how much havoc Lydia is wreaking on all of our reputations and he has his moment where he's like oh has she scared away some of your lovers Lizzie and Lizzie's like no no uh she just becomes a terrible liar in like that one second where she's like no I um I don't want anybody actually there's like a several moments in this episode where her voice gives her away. There's one later where Mrs. Reynolds, Darcy's housekeeper, is like, oh, he's a very handsome man, isn't he? And she's like, yes! I wouldn't know. I've only met him, like, once. He didn't propose to me, I swear. So (laughs) then Daddy Bennett says that it's okay. Nobody's going to judge you or Jane for having three silly sisters. And Lizzie is not having it. She does not want to touch him. He, like, puts his hand on her arm, and she's like, don't touch me. I'm mad at you. What I think is is interesting here, and I think is about the fact that maybe people won't believe them, that Wickham is a bad person, Mm -hmm. is, like, they do have a good reason, but they're not able to. Because, again, Wickham did a bad thing. He preyed upon a 15-year-old to get her inheritance. Like, that is a bad thing. And the fact that she can't say it for reasons to even protect her sister is tough. It's like there are so many different layers of things that are real problems that because Lizzie feels like she can't share is still going to happen and is going to spell doom for her and her family. Absolutely. I actually did not see this coming, and I know that like we had just learned that Wickham preyed on 15-year-old girls, and I know that 
he's in the militia that's going to Brighton and therefore Lydia is going to be going to Brighton with him. But when I was reading this book, I had literally no idea what was going to happen. And I was like, yeah, just let her go. Let her go to Brighton. Like, whatever. Lizzie's embarrassed, but that doesn't really matter. I didn't really see the actual risk. And there's some foreshadowing here. Daddy Bennett even says she is too poor to be prey to fortune hunters, Mm -hmm. which she is technically, but someone else is going to help out with the money. I did have a note in this section that's kind of embarrassing. (laughs) I love Daddy Bennett in the books. I think he's hot by that's my canon. And honestly, this man, even though he is old, he makes me want to be a 60 year old straight woman so that I can like actually have a crush on him. Listen, you can have a crush on him no matter what. It's just hilarious that she's had a crush on Daddy Bennett since she read the first chapter of this book. And I was like, you're going to be disappointed when you watch the movie and he's not hot. But if anything, watching the movie has made you more attracted to him. Yes. Amanda, uh, my partner in life, love in podcasting, uh, <laughs> who, was a, who was the CEO of Multitude and also my girlfriend, and we lived together. We barreled through all of The Good Wife, which is this long-running like law-slash-politics show with Juliana Margulies mm-hmm. that was on a network TV. But the best part of it was that Christine Baranski oh, is in yeah. it and plays like a high-powered Chicago lawyer. And Mr. Bennett has the energy of someone who would be married to Christine, any of Christine Baranski's characters, like in this or in Mamma Mia, mm. where who has like very laid back, like chill energy so that Baranski can like Baranski around. And I totally get that. It's like, this is the kind of person who would be in Mamma Mia and would have like a few funny lines and be like, all right, well, bye, dear. I'm just going to be at the hotel bar the whole time if you need me. And then he is at the hotel bar the entire time. Like, I'm 100% on your on your. Oh, team. incredible. Thank you. <laughs> to also that point, that's also why Mrs. Bennett sucks so much, because she is like taking advantage of his chillness where he's doing it because he has to compensate for everybody's problems and because it's like Victorian England, not because he's a chill dude. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So then they have a goodbye party for the militia, and Mrs. Bennett is thanking Mr. Forrester for taking Lydia with them, and he's like, well, anything to keep the girls happy, and you like, we look over and see Lydia and Mrs. Forrester giggling and being debaucherous together, So we kind of get the vibe for, like, what's going to happen when they're there. You know when a bad person has friends and you can be like, oh, you're definitely also all bad people. Like, they all have the look and they, like, when they all giggle and laugh, like, uproariously like that, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're all, like, bad people, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. And Wickham, uh, Wickham has the look of a bad person in this part. He, like, narrows his eyes in on Lizzie and it's so slimy and he, like, walks over to her And he's like, well, here's one lady that I'll be really sorry to leave. And she is flawless in this part. She knows that he sucks. And she is not going to let him know that she knows, except she is going to. So she's not going to be outright mean to him. But she is so subtle in her I know what you did last summer vibe. And she says she's sure they're both going to be fine. He's going to Brighton and she's going to the lakes. And she says, I dare say we shall both find ample sources of entertainment and delight in our different ways. And then she literally sips her tea. This part is just Wickham panic sweating and being like, does she know? I think she knows. Wait, no, she can't know. Does she know? She can't believe him. No, no, she knows. She definitely knows. To unfortunately open the door into 2020 where all this stuff is actually happening. This super reminded me of this video that I saw. So do you guys know who Chris D'Elia is? Yes. And you've seen this stuff about him? 
So for those of you who don't know, he was a comedian. He fairly successful, uh, but also like invited and tried to hook up with like 16 and 17 year old oh, girls. Yeah. And there's a video where I guess he's on a podcast and they were recording it because, you know, a podcast is invalid unless there's a camera. <laughs> okay. This isn't a podcast. Where, <laughs> yeah, right. Where um, these guys, he's just like on a straight dude bro podcast and they're talking about Snapchat. And there's a part where Chris is just like, wait, you, you can take screenshots of Snapchat? I thought they just disappear. <gasps> and the hosts are like, yeah, you can take screenshots. And there's like this tweet that's been going around as screenshots of him realizing that. And he's like, he makes it, and he also has a really like dumb, gross demeanor and face. Yeah, his face is gross. Yeah, and he's like, uh, what? Uh, oh, oh no! Like that same stuff was going over Wickham's face. So I do appreciate that, like, even though this stuff didn't happen then, because this this podcast was recorded a little while ago. Similar to people knowing things about Wickham, is like he knows that people can know that they did bad shit. Mm-hmm. I did find when. It was like, oh, Wickham was trying to prey on a 15-year-old girl. I really wanted Lizzie to say something. Mm-hmm. And it really bummed me out that she didn't because it was so similar to the shit that was happening right now. So although it was a little bit of like comeuppance in a similar way, when a bad thing happened, no one said anything and it caused more problems. And putting young girls in danger. Interesting how this book that was written in the 19th century is relevant today. Weird. Yeah, I'll <laughs> say that women have been uh, trying to make judgment calls about when and when to not share that a man is a piece of shit for centuries now. Centuries. Centuries. Yeah. And it is so interesting that it plays out the exact same way all these years later. Absolutely. So she brings up that she saw Darcy and Sissy at Rosings, and he's like, oh, uh, and he's like sweating. And Lizzie says that she thinks that Darcy improves upon acquaintance. And he's like, uh, I dare say he's not improved in essentials. And Lizzie says, no, in essentials, I believe he is as he ever was. But I just mean that when I got to know him better, my opinion of him improved. And she's like, glaring into his eyes with this like smile on her face and he's like I see it's clicked in his head so then Mrs. Forrester calls him away in that flirty way that she does I think she's probably also super young yeah she's married to like a 50 year old dude and she looks like a little older than Lydia yeah I was also wondering about that when she was a missus I was like y'all must be the same age yeah so that's a little grody but as long as it was consensual I don't know they seem happy I'm sure that the casting was on point, yes. like trying to make this woman seem young and like Lydia. Because again, what I said about them being friends is like they're they laugh similar, they are similar. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's that table in a lunchroom in high school where the girls are being really loud and like they all have the same set of straightened hair. Yeah. Not saying those girls are bad, but like they, there's just a very strong vibe. <laughs> There was a real ugliness to their laughing because I guess this is what I was thinking about Lydia is like these people are only people who care about like upward mobility and shit. So it was like I saw is like I could see the interior their interior ugliness as they were laughing like that. And I was like that it really sucks. That that this whole oh, thing yeah. Yeah, sucks. sucks. So then it's time to say goodbye to Lydia. Uh my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> yeah. She says that she's going to write every day, and I wondered if they were trying to make her seem a little bit more likable, because in the book, I very specifically remember, they're like, please write every day, and she's like, "Mm, nah. And (laughs) I mean, they dressed her like Lizzie, too, in this part. They did. They dressed her really nice. She goes off to get in the carriage. She falls, and she's like, oh, my God, don't laugh if I trip and break my head. And Kitty says, I wish she would. (laughs) Chef's kiss, Kitty. For a second, I was hoping that that was not 
stage or anything. I'm like, fuck Lee. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm like, ah, oh, I yeah. damn. But I thought that was an excellent touch and kind of the start of us getting to see Kitty gain her own personality, which I think happens a little bit more later in the book. But my whole thing throughout the book was I want to see more of Kitty. Then Kitty is sobbing and Daddy Bennett tells her she's going to get over it in a year or two. Yeah. I, I love the way he phrases it, too, because he's, he's like, don't worry, Kitty, in a year or two. And you think he's going to say, you'll get to go, too. But instead he says, in a year or two, you'll get over it. Yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> Then the gardeners arrive and all of the baby gardeners get out and they run all over to Jane because Jane's going to babysit them for the next couple of weeks while Lizzie and the gardeners are off on their trip. And it's very cute. And then the gardeners tell Lizzie that they have unfortunate news, which is they can't go to the lakes because Mr. Gardener has some sort of work thing, but they are going to spend their time in Derbyshire. Oh, can you say Derbyshire again? Because I didn't get it from the 500 times they said it in 10 minutes. Derbyshire. 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 Oh, my favorite place. It's so much better than all the other counties. It's Derbyshire. But can I can I tell you that the first couple times we said it when we were reading the book, we called it Derbyshire and people oh, I did got too. so mad at us. Oh, yeah. And that one in Hertfordshire Listen, as opposed England, to Hertfordshire. England is dumb. England pronunciations are stupid. <laughs> Deal with it. They are taking words from other languages and making it sound like they're dumb Anglophile bullshit. <laughs> so you're going to have to deal with it if we read it and think it's Derbyshire, like a word that is two words put together. <laughs> make sure at the end of this episode that you uh, share your Twitter handle just so we can make sure that you're the one who gets yelled at by our fans for this <laughs> one. Yeah, at me. At me. I'll throw your comments in the trash. That's where I put all of the other colonialism from British shit. Sorry, guys. Well, we called, for the first, like, half of the book, we called where Longbourn is the Shire because I thought it was Hertfordshire. So I was like, oh, it's a we're going to just call it the Shire because of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, well, here's another example of that. Lord of the Rings is literally J.R.R. Tolkien is taking everything that he uh, feels for the United Kingdom and why uh, Anglicans are the best and everyone else is the oh, worst. Yeah, that's true. Um, so you're totally, you're totally true. You, oh yeah, the small people who are furry and eat a lot. Yeah, those aren't the Irish. All right, guys. Yeah. It's okay. All of the Jews are dwarves. It's that's fine. true in like every fantasy. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Shout out J.K. Rowling. I knew you were bad from the beginning. I totally knew it. Yep. Yikes. Right. So in, the, in this, here's a, a fun fact like this. So you know why all of the rivers in the UK are Avon? Is because when the Anglican invaders came in and we're talking to the people who spoke Gaelic, like, hey, what's this? And they're like, a it was like I can't pronounce it, but it's Avon because it means river. So that's what they're like. Oh, this is also Avon. That's why I'm going to name it Avon. <laughs> So it's like, it's just the Anglican people coming in and telling everyone else what their thing already means. So get in my fucking mentions and I'll throw it in the yes. trash. <laughs> Incredible. We love to see uh, British Imperial rant into it, into yes. it. So we cut to them going across the Shire and it's like beautiful hills, rolling rocks down the hill, just gorgeous. This is where uh, you see that the movie adaptation vastly improves upon the book because you can describe country or you can look at it and it's pretty. For sure. That is at its core what film does. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, because I wasn't really picturing like these rolling rocks and hills and stuff. I was like a nice cobblestone road and then some trees in my head. Because they didn't, 
fully explain, oh, this is like gorgeous countryside. And they're driving along and Mrs. Gardner tells Lizzie that she grew up in Lambton, which is not five miles from Pemberley, where Darcy and Wickham grew up. And she says that she didn't have the privilege of intimacy with that family because they ran in very different social circles. And she doesn't seem bitter about it, but she seems a little bitter about it, you know? She's lower class than him. Yeah, I was going to say, like when she says social circles, you mean I was poor and they were not? exactly. No, no no one's poor in these books. Yeah, they're all wealthy, but they're not super wealthy, so they're poor. Right, I wasn't, I, I couldn't figure that out from, and I assumed it was like micro strata of economic stuff, but I couldn't tell when when Darcy was like, you guys are poor. It's like, are you? Are you poor? The only really poor person in this book actually is Wickham because he has spent all his money and that's a problem that I have with it because like the one poor guy is the evil guy. Yes. But he did it through debauchery. That's so true. Fuck yeah, that guy. That's true, that's true. I will say that it is true that the Bennett sisters will be poor when Mr. Bennett dies. The economics of dating in the Austin era. Here we go. I've, I've given this speech a good chunk of times. Basically, all of their money is going to be left to Mr. Collins, and they don't get access to any of it once Mr. Bennett dies because he's the next male heir. So they all have to marry to have any money, and if they don't marry, then they actually are poor. Oh, my God. So fun. And that's why they have to suck up to Lady Catherine. So in case everything goes sideways, she'll take them in to Rosings. Right. Yes. So this is the first of two very just excellent additions to the film via Darcy being hot. Him fencing. Yeah. Cut to him in a fencing class with, correct me if I'm wrong, but is that Mr. Ollivander? His fencing teacher. I don't think that was John Hurt, but I could be wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, he looked like him and they're fencing together and he is very heated. And Mr. Ollivander is like, are you going to be back tomorrow? And Darcy's like, no, no, no. I have some business at home. I have to. I'll come back next week. And then he turns away and he goes, I shall conquer this. I shall. <laughs> <laughs> you ever work out when you're sexually frustrated? It was something about fencing that it's like, I need to hit another man because I got <laughs> rejected by a woman. I will conquer this. I will conquer my sexual rejection. There's like, if this was like a modern rom-com, it's like that he would go boxing. Yes. Exactly. And he'd be like, I just need to hit somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly that. Which also brings me to my study question. What are we gaining from our little snippets of Darcy in this episode? I think it's what I said before was Darcy is now another narrator. So we believe everything that he's going through. Absolutely. It's They're very much streamlining this plot. That it's like once we've hit episode four, I feel it's like Wickham is bad. Darcy is good. Let's move on. Yeah. And I think that in some ways that's great. Like for us as the viewers that we get to crush on Darcy a little bit know that he's a good guy and we're like seeing into his psyche a little bit but I loved hating on him as a reader and I hated on him for most of the book so I guess in terms of the film we're already like almost in volume the third in terms of like where we are in the book and we're only on episode four which I guess there's only six episodes so that makes sense but I can't hate on him because one, he's Colin Firth and two, we get to see so much of his inner workings. Yeah, I think to what Molly said uh, before was that movies, you see things. You see things in movies. <laughs> you see things in movies. But also, like, it does need to, si- you need to simplify some of that stuff. This is like in some Gatsby adaptations. When you're reading the book, you don't meet Gatsby until like 
chapter mm-hmm. five, chapter four or five is when Nick needs to like get up the courage to go to one of his parties. And then at the end when they're like, oh, I've been Gatsby the whole time. Like that's when they introduced Gatsby earlier because the name of the book slash movie is The Great Gatsby. Indeed. So it's just like the simplification that has to happen for visual adaptation. Yeah, I also think it adds a little bit to the sexual tension between them because you get the yearning from Lizzie's side the entire book. And now you're getting some yearning from Darcy and it kind of, puts you Mm. in his corner for watching Lizzie and feeling that chemistry between them. So I think you kind of like get a little bit more of the zhuzh, if that makes sense. That's a terrible word, but. Well, especially because this scene is sexy. So totally agree. Then we get the gardeners and Lizzie at dinner. This is, I guess, a few weeks later, a few days later. I'm not really sure. But Mrs. Gardner asks Lizzie if she wants to go see Pemberley. And Lizzie's like, that feels awkward to me because we weren't invited there. But Mrs. Gardner is like, no, 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 it's the grounds. The grounds are really beautiful. We don't even have to go inside. And Lizzie asks their housekeeper, Hannah, if the family will be in town this summer or if the house is empty. And Hannah's like, no, 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 they're not here. I love how nice the gardeners are to Hannah, side note. Very nice. Yeah. But it is a little bit of the Chekhov's Pemberley that is coming in here. It's like, oh, no, of course Darcy's not there. Obviously, no way he might ride up on a horse tomorrow. So Lizzie's like, okay, we can go see Pemberley. So they're going to Pemberley. Wait, I need to make a note on this. <laughs> I wrote down, the grounds are so big. This is like if you like lived in a cul-de-sac and it was like agreed upon by everyone. They're like, yeah, no matter if we're not home or not, you can just uh, use my trampoline. Like, it's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but then they go inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom was like, I was watching this with my mom, and she was like, they're being nosy. Like, this is weird that they're doing this. Yeah, that's like a thing. You used to go on, like, tourist retreats to castles that people lived in. Right. I guess we, we do that now. It's just the family's been dead for hundreds of years. Right. I think that they, they did try to make that better because everything that they saw in Pemberley was pretty much like a museum to the family. Also, they kept bringing up like that the family's not there, but then, so they get there before we get inside. They're driving along and Lizzie's like, will we reach the house before sundown? Like the grounds are so big, blah, 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 blah. Hey, uh, Molly, I don't know if you knew, but uh, Ms. Lizzie Bennett here, Elizabeth Bennett, she uh, she's, uh, doesn't really respect the <laughs> She's a woman at her own time. She's a little bit of a woman at the time. And <laughs> we pull up to Pemberley. And she, we've talked about this before on this podcast, but Lizzie is hot for some really good architecture and some really good landscaping. And she gets her breath taken away and tears well up in her eyes when she sees this house. And you can just see it in her brain. She's thinking like, oh my God, have I fucked up? Should I have said yes to this proposal? And one of my favorite parts is that Mrs. Gardner turns to Lizzie and is like, perhaps the owner is rendered a little less repulsive by the beauty of the house. And Lizzie's like, "Mm, yeah, a little. Like, girl, (laughs) you want to get married right this fucking now. Just like a little petite gold digging moment on Lizzie's part. Just like a baby one. Just a little one. A little bit. It's like, but what if I was rich? (laughs) What if? What if they go inside and, oh, actually, before they go inside, this was a great moment of foreshadowing that is not at all in the book. Mr. Gardner says, I think one would be willing to put up with a good deal to be mistress of Pemberley. And, 
oh, that's Mrs. Gardner. And then Mr. Gardner says, the mistress of Pemberley would have to put up with a good deal from what I hear. And then Mrs. Gardner says, she's not likely to be anyone we know. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Dumb. And Lizzie's just like pulling at her cuff, just like, (laughs) (laughs) Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So then they go inside and the housekeeper, Mrs. Reynolds, is so sweet. I love her. My favorite character in this episode. And she's showing them around the house and like the different rooms and the piano that Darcy was going to get Georgie. And she tells them that Darcy's actually coming back tomorrow with a large party of friends, including Miss Georgiana. And Lizzie looks out the window and she says aloud to herself, to think I might have been mistress of all of this. Another moment of like, no, we got that. We, we don't need that said out loud. Yeah. Then they look at these two little miniature paintings of Darcy and Wickham. And they're admiring them. And the housekeeper says that Wickham went into the army, but he's turned out very wild. And Mrs. Gardner and Lizzie share this like little look where Mrs. Gardner's like trying to figure out what's happening. And then... Mrs. Reynolds goes on this long rant about how wonderful our boy Darcy is. And this is the point where the housekeeper's like, oh, do you know him? He's very handsome, isn't he? And Lizzie's like, yes, very, very handsome. I loved that. And then the gardeners are really shocked. Wait a minute. Are you saying that someone who has known Wickham and Darcy since they were children has a good idea of what they're really like but since she's low-born, no one listens to her? That's so weird. so weird. Except Lizzie does listen to her in this part. Lizzie does. <laughs> but Mrs. Gardner is like, this doesn't really match up with our account of 
them. And Lizzie's like, well, perhaps we were mistaken. And Mrs. Gardner's like, no, no. <laughs> she's a housekeeper, guys. Why would she know what she's talking about? Exactly. And one of the important things about this conversation is that she says Darcy is the best landlord and the best master. And you can ask any of his tenants or his servants and they all love him, which is interesting because we thought he was a classist prick. So mm. that's just important to note. And she also says, some people call him proud, but I fancy that's only because he don't rattle away like other young men do. Which he does not. Which is an excellent encompassment of all that we think about Darcy. Yeah. And that is the end of that scene. Let's get to swimming. Swimming time! Let's get to the swimming, because I got a okay. lot of things to say here. Okay, so... So we jump to Darcy on a horse riding back and he sees that he's arrived at Pemberley and we flash like back and forth. So we see Darcy getting off the horse and then we see Lizzie looking at this beautiful painting of Darcy and being kind of like, oh, he's hot. And then Darcy strips off his clothes like bit by bit and he kind of frowns into the water for a second of this. It's like a still pool. It's like full of algae and lily pads and it's like kind of gross. And then he just jumps in. This scene was a very important scene. So I think a lot can be said by me watching this scene next to my boyfriend who has been kind enough to watch all of this Pride and Prejudice adaptation with me up to this point, but has not read the books. He watched this scene and then the subsequent scene of Colin Firth walking up the grounds and running into Lizzie. And he was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. This is sexy. I get it. It's hot. This is really hot. It is a formative thing, this scene which is hilarious because, first of all, it is so iconic in this adaptation that many people assume this scene is in the book, and it's not. Definitely not. Second of all, someone erected a 12-foot statue of Colin Firth in water in this scene that (laughs) (laughs) exists in a river in England. And this is also a quote from Colin Firth about this scene. This is real. The wet shirt scene was intended to be a full frontal nudity scene. Good. I was going to ask this question. Yes. Okay, good. Darcy was an actual man, but he spent all of his time being constrained by demands of society. He just spent weeks and months in London being polite with a group of stuffy people. He would have had a few hours in which he could be blissfully alone. It's a hot day. He arrives at this lake. So I thought he would strip completely off and dive down just to become a creature, an animal, just for once. That just gave me chills. Then they were like, let's keep it family friendly. So keep your clothes on while you do it. But that energy of this scene has become so important to the telling of the story. And you can see it written all over Jennifer Eel's face that she can see his nipples through the shirt. And it has bothered her. Wow. When I first saw this, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? (laughs) But by thinking about it, like, even for, like, three seconds, I'm like, this is so smart and so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, if we need to, in, in so many different ways, like, if we need to establish that Darcy is very good, uh, much better than Wickham, this is how we do it. If we need to establish that this is, like, a movie and we're going to see hot Colin Firth, this is how you do it. In terms of the, the plot itself, it makes even more sense that everyone is surprised to see each other. Because not only is it awkward, because we didn't even talk about it. the last time they saw each other was when Colin Firth was stalking her in an orchard. Yes, yep. <laughs> so then it's like, oh, oh my God, I can't, what? And it's we've established that like he is prickly, but then it's like in a, in a movie where you already have this established idea. Or in a TV show, it's nice that this is a, a miniseries, is that like in a TV show we have this idea of who this character is, and then we see them and it's like, oh, oh my God, you're my, you're now my love interest. 
Like, you are now the love interest. And I thought that it, for everything, in so many ways, this was just a really good scene. Yeah. Hard agree. Molly, any thoughts? <laughs> I mean, yeah, same to all of that. Also, like, what a weird dude. Like, the <laughs> fact that he's not naked and he just dives in in his underclothes. Yeah. Like, he's just weird. And he, it definitely emphasizes that he's not good around other people, but he has his own, like, internal life and hobbies. And he likes to swim and ride his horse and, like... <sighs> what a beautiful, beautiful man. I don't know why he put his leather boots back on. Yeah, that was That was disturbing. the worst part for me. That was disturbing to me. I did not like that at all. I actually would 100%. It's like, <laughs> after he gave his horse off to the stable boy, I assume, I would have thought he would have given his like riding boots to the stable boy as well. Right. And that would have been a little more interesting. And also, he would have been more embarrassed if a lady saw him barefoot. Yes. Like that, like he didn't look nearly as embarrassed as I thought he should have. When he walked up. Yeah. He's pretty embarrassed. He doesn't know how to show emotions on his face, though, I think. So he like. But he's just wet, he's though. very it's, wet. But it's like accidentally someone threw a water balloon at him. Right. If he was like sopping wet or at least walking in from on your property swimming in your lake. Totally makes sense. I would have just been as decent for my housekeeper who I've known since I was a child. If this was me in real life, I probably would have just walked up in shorts or just my underwear. Right. That would have been really embarrassing. And I feel like they could have done something at least to equivalize this, yeah. Yeah. which would have been barefoot or like in short pants or whatever. Right, I totally agree. I think it's the fact that his shirt is like see-through in this part that really does the trick. But I thought that was great. I thought that was like the, oh, I need to cover up just, like I'm not naked in front of you, Mrs. Reynolds yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Which I thought was a great touch. I just wish he would have, like, just been in his Johns or some animal. Barefoot would have been great. Also, it's uncomfortable to put leggings on after you are swimming, so I can't imagine that leather boots would be yeah. comfortable to put on oh, for sure. after swimming. Right, especially because he has, like, long Johns, and then he has his riding pants, and then he has his riding Yes. Boots. My one justification is that I bet it's a longer walk than we're perceiving it to be. Mm, fair. Yeah. The grounds are big, yeah. in case we forgot. They're big. Bro. Anyway, cut to Lizzie's reaction to seeing Darcy. So they're walking. They're both walking towards the same lake. And then the music swells dramatically. And she sees him. And he sees her. And honestly, I wish I could just, like, play this entire scene right now. Because it is hilarious. First she sees him. And she goes... <gasps> Mr. Darcy! <laughs> By the way, Mike Schubert recorded the last episode of this podcast and is obsessed with the phrase, Mr. Darcy. And he was like, I just want to hear more people say it. And I think he wanted to hear this Mr. Darcy in particular. So I think you got the episode that Mike Schubert wanted to record. Yeah. Well, Mike getting fascinated by one particular thing in a, in a novel. Never would have figured that one out. <laughs> I would have thought. The kind of guy who wants to get something Voldemort said tattooed on his body. <laughs> That's what I'm on tattooed on my body. So Lizzie says, oh, we didn't think you were going to be here. And he's like, uh, I assume your parents are in good health. And she says, yes, very good. And then he asks how long she's been there. She tells him. And then this is one of my favorite parts. He says, and where are you staying? Like one word. And she tells him where they're staying. And he says, oh, yes, of course. And then he goes, and your parents are in good health? Again. Yes. When he said it again, I was like, that's so funny. I lost my shit. I was like, oh, my God. This is exactly what you do when you're flustered around the girl that you like. You just can't remember if you've already. It's like, so how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? And your sisters, are they good? How are they? <laughs> and your sisters? And then he just goes, excuse me. And then he runs away like a disaster. He runs away. The gardeners come over and Lizzie 
stands there for a second and then she goes we have to leave here at once and then she stalks off in the other direction and they chase after her and they're like why was he displeased to see you and she's like no he said nothing of consequence he just asked if my parents were okay and she starts flipping shit Darcy comes out the other side fully dressed and looking all handsome like the good boy that he is. How fast do you think it took him to, oh, to get dressed? He ran in there and he threw on his clothes. <laughs> He's like ripping off his wet clothes as he runs into that house and yelling at his housekeeper, get me a fresh outfit. Yeah, he is stressed. It's like he was doing a quick change in a high school theater production. Exactly. I'm surprised he came out fully dressed. So he runs out the other side of the house. And he runs right into her and he's like, you're not leaving already. And she's like, I think we have to. And he asks if she's displeased with Pemberley. And she's like, no, I I like it very much, but I don't think anyone could be displeased with it. And he says, but your opinion is very rarely bestowed and therefore all more worth the earning. Molly, I don't know if you got that, but uh, Lizzie, Lizzie Bennett, the the main character of this book slash (laughs) miniseries, she, uh, she's not like other girls. (laughs) She uh, she does not like things, but other girls just like things. So it's it's really important. She just doesn't really do what society tells her to do. I don't know if you knew that. She's a woman ahead of her time. She's a woman out of time. Like she could be living right now. Like this this novel could be set now, and then it would be like totally the same. Like I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> She's a relatable bitch. Oh yeah, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so Darcy, my mom commented at this point. And said, wait, he's being chatty. She did this. Uh, our listeners can't see, but she did the thing where you, like, make your hand into a mouth and you chat, chat, chat. And she was like, ooh, Darcy, chat, 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 chat. And he is, like, really trying hard to make conversation. He asks if she could introduce him to her friends. Lizzie tries to egg him on. She's like, this is my aunt and uncle from Cheapside because that's something that he's made fun of in the past. And he is just so kind he and mrs gardener bond over a tree which is very sweet a tree in lambton he asks mr gardener if he likes fishing he invites him to fish there whenever he wants and then he's like oh i can go show you the lake now come on and then they go down to the lake and this was so subtle but i watched this four times so i caught on to it we get this shot that's from like above and we see lizzie with mrs gardener and Darcy with Mr. Gardener and then Lizzie walks away a little bit and Darcy comes up to meet her and he's like let's walk this way and then they both start talking at the same time and he says oh no please continue and it's so good it's just like when you're on a zoom date I don't know if anyone's been doing this but me no you're both in relationships just me but you both start talking at the same time and you're like oh Oh, sorry, sorry, you go. You go I mean, that's us recording this podcast as well. That, that too, that too. Molly, I would love to ask you how this is and how is that going. <laughs> Let's just take like a 20-minute detour oh. and get into that. Listen, there was a, a, my dog murdered a groundhog on one of my Zoom dates. Hell yeah. And my date was just sitting facing my the outside of my house and I was screaming bloody murder on the other side of the computer like, Amy, stop, put it down, drop it. But she still wants to talk to me, so that's good. That's a winner. Yep. I feel like these Zoom dates are condensing the meet cute in so many ways. And maybe, in your case, that's adorable. And I would definitely want to continue that because life, in in so many more ways, because you are literally at home and not on the date, is like life happens to you. Mm-hmm. But I think that this will only exacerbate people thinking things are meat cutes and ignoring red flags. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. In the middle of our Zoom date, uh, he was just yelling at his mom for like 15 minutes. <laughs> It was, it was so weird. Like, what a, <laughs> what a, what a crazy thing. date I was on. What a quirky date. But, like, you know, he's like, 
nice to me. I guess he's polite. I can work around it. And I mean, like, he, he stuck with his parents. So, like, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So if Darcy and Lizzie met today on Hinge and then they had to go on a Zoom date, oh, what would this book be like? Anyway, back to Jane Austen. <laughs> back to Jane Austen. Darcy would critique everything behind Lizzie and be like, well, why is your background so messy? Yeah. And then show her around his beautiful estate, like pick up the laptop yeah. <laughs> and walk it around. Like, this is the sitting room. This is the solarium. This is my mom's library. This is my dad's library. <laughs> <laughs> Look how big my books are. Then, oh, I skipped over Mrs. Gardiner's tea spilling. Right before this happened, Lizzie and Mrs. Gardiner start walking after Mr. Darcy, and Mrs. Gardiner's like, he's being very nice. And Lizzie's like, I'm as surprised as you are. I can't imagine what affected this change. And Mrs. Gardiner looks at her and goes, can you not? Like, she knows. Oh, She yeah. can tell. Mrs. Gardiner's the reader being like, Lizzie, he loves you. Yeah. What I like about this, though, is that it's like, uh, yeah, this guy's obviously flirting with you. And Lizzie's like, yeah, but... Uh, you don't know, but he called my whole he called my whole family poor. Yeah. <laughs> he said we're poor. Oh yeah. Yeah. He said my whole family sucks. Yeah. He was a dick, but right now he's being so kind and it's weird. And they're walking along and he tells Lizzie that Bingley and his sisters are coming tomorrow. Which is awkward. Which is awkward because obviously he just told her what he did to keep Bingley from her sister. And then he says, also, my sister is coming and she really wants to meet you. Could I, would you, uh, would you uh, do me the honor of allowing me to introduce you to her? And Lizzie's like, yes, I would like that very much. And he is like, thank you, which is just such a weird way to ask and respond. But it's very on brand for him and it's very sweet. I feel like this walk was a lot longer in the book, but like this was a whole chapter. It was, it was. But then they get back to the carriage and he helps her into the carriage and he says he hopes that they'll see each other very soon. Clock the bodily physical touch there. They're touching hands. That's big. And she is letting him like linger his hand there for an extra second. Mm. It's very hot. He says goodbye to everyone and then he watches them drive away with this sad yearning look on his face and then Lizzie turns around in the carriage and looks back at him and they're making eye contact as they ride away and then the music starts and that's the end of the episode we did it we did it oh gosh yes I love that episode such a good one to chat about and just to cap off this episode we're gonna have a couple standby study questions that we ask every time first one is Favorite line delivery in the episode? I think we talked about it a little bit, but all of the choices Mr. Collins was doing <laughs> was my favorite line delivery was when he shushed himself <laughs> and his weird finger uh, finger wave. Yeah, him yeah. shushing himself was phenomenal. I think my favorite has to be, and where are you staying? Uh, uh, oh, oh, yes, of course. And, and your parents are in good health? <laughs> For me, it's when she's like, we have to leave. And her aunt and uncle are like, what happened? And she's like, he was very lovely. He inquired after my family. <laughs> that one. Um. So next one is notable differences from the book. I think this one has so many of those. My favorite notable additions are Darcy fencing and Darcy swimming. I'm going to go with fencing because the swimming one was incredibly iconic and I thought did a lot of work. But the fencing one was so unnecessary. <laughs> See, I actually think I'd like to take that 
flip it and reverse it and say the fencing one is kind of strategically placed to like show that he's angsting. Whereas the swimming one, I was like, that's so weird. That he's after talking about it, I get it and I get why it's important and why there's a 12 foot statue of Colin Firth in a river somewhere. It's so creepy. But it's it was so very creepy. weird oh. when I was watching it. Wait, no, I'm gonna go with the psychic projection. That <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. going with the psychic projection. Yeah. That was really good. Oh boy. So I'm gonna go with the lake scene because it's you know, iconic, and it's got to get a shout-out in this part. Favorite and least favorite parts of the episode. Start with least favorite, so we'll get the negative first. Uh, Lady Catherine de Berg is boring to me, and I'm glad that she's gone for now. I know it was plot-centric, but, like, fuck Lydia, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too, that too. Yeah, I think they lingered a little too long at Longbourn between Rosings and Pemberley. Yeah, for sure. Favorite part of the episode, I think, for me, Colin Firth being hot. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Just a thirsty person. No, that's fair. Um, some of them are things I've already said, so I'll pick a new one. I'm going to go with watching Wickham sweat. I'm going to combine your two, and I'm going to say how sideburns on different people changes how we see them. So I, want, I really need to get into this. When I was in high school and in college, I realized quickly I could grow facial hair from my uh, Jewish heritage. Uh, so I quickly did so. So I had like a beard that I had in senior year of high school that I had for a play where I was playing a hobo who everyone thought had sex with goats. And then I had a 10 minute monologue. So <laughs> it was, there was a lot happening there. Um, so, I, and I had this like chin strap beard and then I, I would shave it off and I had a beard for a while, but I always had like sideburn sideburns. And they look bad. Like, it is on modern people. It's like either you're in, like, the 70s and you're in, like, a prog rock band or you're in this era of the world where this is a thing. and Or you're General Burnsides, who, who popularized it in the Americas during the Civil War. On Wickham, for what's Wickham being sweaty, his sideburns accentuated that because it's like he was sweaty everywhere and it got in his hair and it was gross. Mm -hmm. And that was like, a, that whole scene was very claustrophobic with like people grossly laughing and Wickham being very close to Lizzie and sweating. On the other hand, I was looking at Colin Firth this whole time. I'm like, okay, I understand you're in period piece and like, this is what you look like. You're wearing all these clothes, you have sideburns, whatever. And then he overcomes that by swimming and being hot and fencing that I forgot about it, and it was just like, oh, he is hot regardless of the dumb Victorian stuff that he needs to do. Yeah. And I'm going to say that overcoming or leaning into sideburns was my, uh, my favorite part. Love it. Excellent. Then last question of the episode is who wins the episode? I'm going to go with Darcy, 100%. So I did not put this together until the end. I'm like, oh, he got, like, dumped in the last episode. So instead of uh, crying about it, drinking a lot and making playlists like I would have done. He wrote this letter, talked shit about the people who needed to be talked shit about. He did convince Bingley to do the right thing with because the rest of Lizzie's family does suck. They do. He is on his way to being vindicated, which is a slow process because people aren't just going to post it on Twitter and spill the tea. He then goes for the swim. He looks super hot. He fishes. He gets on the gardener's good side, which is the way for him to get to Lizzie's heart. And he just like is doing, for someone who's having a really tough time in the last episode, he really overcomes. So I'm going to say Darcy. I am going to completely agree for all the reasons that Eric just said, but I'm going to add to it, first of all, that Colin Firth gives a tremendous performance in this episode. Yeah. And also, adding on to other things he did from his breakup, he was critiqued 
by Lizzie for some very legitimate reasons, some illegitimate ones, but very legitimate ones. So he addressed her illegitimate critiques by defending himself, but then he took her legitimate critiques that he was being proud and rude and is trying to improve upon those aspects of himself. Mm. So we love to see it. We love a guy who hears that he has hurt somebody and works to make himself better. Well, you all just said the things that I was going to say, but I would like to hard agree with both of you. And I think that something that's really awesome about the fact that in movies you can see things happening is that when I was reading the book, it was really hard for me to believe that Darcy genuinely heard what Lizzie was saying and was trying to improve, not just to impress her, but because he thought, oh, I'm going to become a better person now. And in here, in seeing it, watching specifically the moment where he watches her ride away in the carriage, he's not thinking, I'm going to get her back. He's thinking, I'm so sad I lost her, but I'm hoping that what I'm doing now makes me a better person. And it's so beautiful and pure to watch. And he's such a sweet boy. I loved getting some backstory on him from Mrs. Reynolds and hearing that he was a sweet four-year-old boy. Uh, Just all of it. All of the Darcy. Love it. All right, guys, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. Eric, thank you so much for joining. This was so much fun. Absolutely. I had so much fun. This is such a great show. And definitely one one that I love yelling. These are peak me yelling at things. So it's very fun for me to do this. Do you want to tell people where they can yell at you for your <laughs> for your hot Y'all, if you want to come at me uh, being an internet plugged in former high school English teacher, please. I will throw all of your tweets in the trash. Get ready. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at E-L underscore Silvero, E-L underscore S-A-L-V-E-R-O. That is my name if I was a Lucha Libre wrestler with a little underscore in the middle. Love it. Um, you can also listen to my shows, Join the Party, Next Stop, or any of the shows on Multitude. Yeah, and I think that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming. This was truly such a good time. And until next time, listeners, stay proper. And find yourself a man who looks like Colin Firth or somebody of... Any gender who makes you feel like Colin Firth makes you feel. And remember, Lizzie Bennett. Not like other girls. Is a woman out of time. (laughs) Amazing. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.